Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 21. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I think my dad gypped you guys. You didn't get to turn around and say hi to each other, did you? Turn around and say hi to somebody. Seriously, go ahead. What was the gentleman's name? Wayne. 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 All right, we feel better now? All right, praise the Lord. All right, a couple things. Continue to pray for Bill and Joe. They're in Nepal, two of the pastors here. And they had 125 guys in their first class, pastors and Bible college students who were heading out to teach the word, understanding that over there, you can lose your life for preaching the gospel. And so it's truly a privilege. And we as a church support around 200 GFA missionaries somewhere around there. So I'm just blessed to see what God's doing. And just keep them in prayer. The last few days, I know what it's like, having been there many times, are often the toughest. You start to grow weary. You start to miss your family. So just pray they finish strong. Uh, secondly, next Wednesday night, I'll be meeting with the board from the VHM. Please be praying about that. We've asked for uh, more facilities here. What we've asked for, basically, is we want to put some portables in for the children's ministry. We'd like to put four of them in at about 1,000 square feet apiece. And so we've asked for that. We've asked for a lot of other things. But if we're not able to get something more adequate for the children's ministry, I'm at the point right now where I'm praying about looking for another building. I know that might shock some of you, but our children need to be in a facility that is clean, that is nice, that can minister to them. Amen? Amen. And so if God wants us to stay, they'll be favorable. If God doesn't want us to stay, we don't want to stay anyway. Amen? Amen. So just keep that in prayer. I mean, God's in control. I'm not even worried about it. I trust the Lord. I just can't wait to see what God's going to do. So we're going to offer to increase our rent quite a bit if they'll give us more facilities here. And then lastly, uh, we prayed together as a group on Sunday, which I know many people enjoy. If you feel awkward doing that, please forgive me. That's not my heart. But at the same time, the Bible says... Jesus said, you shall make my father's house a house of prayer. And we need to pray more. And what's neat is uh, I got an email today that uh, a woman who's here tonight, we prayed for her husband. In their group, they prayed for her husband. He, they thought he had cancer. He went in and got checked, and there's no cancer. His name is Wayne. He's going to be going back in for some more tests. So let's just keep him in prayer. Amen? Amen. We need to continue to pray. Our God is in the miracle business. He's a faithful and an awesome God. All right. That being said, 1 Samuel 21. As we continue going verse by verse through this, these books of the Bible, one of the things I love is just to see you know, how God is so faithful, not only to show us examples that we can follow, but also I love the fact that God does not hide the frailties of the heroes in Scripture. Because if He did, if, if all we saw were Daniel, we'd be pretty depressed. Because you look through the Word of God and you see these guys and you think, well, yeah, certainly David's a man of God's own heart. Because so far, what have we learned about David? You know, what we've learned about David so far is this guy, I mean, everything he's done so far, it seems like he's got the, you know, the godly Midas touch, if you will. Everywhere he goes, everything he does turns out great. And you look at a guy like him and you know that he's a man of God's own heart. And if we stopped after 1 Samuel 20, we'd all walk away going, well, man, David's an awesome example, but I could never be that guy. There's just no way. And as just as by way of quick review, remember that not only is he called a man for God's own heart, but just his background so far, what we've seen is he started off, as we saw him in Scripture, he was a shepherd. Now, a shepherd in those days was about the lowest job you could get. But in truth, it was a great job and a great training ground for a king. David didn't know he was going to be a king, but David in anonymity was faithfully serving God. He killed a lion and he killed a bear while he was protecting the sheep. It was also a time where he had a great deal of intimacy with the Lord. He became a great man of worship because he had so much time to spend with the Lord. So he was his faithful and humble servant. He was a man of great faith who had great courage that we had seen basically uncomparable in, in his time. And here's this humble servant who sought no position, no popularity, just sought to serve God. And, and in the midst of all that, they show up to anoint one of, Samuel shows up to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. 
David is so humble in the midst of all of them that they don't even call him in from the field. His dad just leaves him out there. And they start bringing the sons by one at a time. And each time Samuel thinks, oh, this is the one. He's strong. He's good looking. This has got to be him. And he was comparing him to Saul when he should have been comparing him to God and God's desire for a king. And so what happened eventually, he said, go out and get him. And he said, this is the one. Young teenage David, probably as young as 13, shows up and he is now anointed king of Israel. And he's the, the great verse we all need to remember. He says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so David was a man after God's own heart. But even after being anointed king, he went right back to shepherding the sheep. He didn't say, well, I'm the king now. Everybody bow. He didn't do that at all. He was the exact opposite. He just kept serving God faithfully. In the midst of that, King Saul, as we know, a distressing spirit comes upon him. They're looking for somebody to come play worship, to make this distressing spirit go away. And in the midst of that, they say, oh, we've seen this one young man who the Holy Spirit is upon, and they go get David. David comes, he worships the Lord, something he learned while he was a shepherd. And what happens? The evil spirit goes away. David then goes back to watching the sheep, and now they have this confrontation with Goliath in chapter 17. When you get the confrontation with Goliath, David's not even there. King Saul's supposed to be the king. He's the good-looking guy. He's the tall guy, head and shoulders above everybody else. He's the one that's supposed to go fight Goliath. He doesn't do it. Forty days and forty nights of testing. Goliath coming down and challenging them to come down and fight. None of them do it. David shows up delivering cheese to his brothers. Sees things from a spiritual perspective, not a physical one. Says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? David goes down. First of all, Saul tried to put the armor on him. He said, this doesn't fit. I'm not going to try to fight God's battles man's way. I'm going to honor the Lord and do it God's way. And he goes down with a a slingshot and he slays Goliath. Now, after that happened, we know again the picture of Goliath falling over. And he takes the sword out and cuts his head off and the dust clears. There's David standing on top of Goliath, holding up Goliath's head. that probably weighed half as much as he did. And as he's holding it up, all the Philistines begin to run away. David leads the battle. They go out, they win the war. Well, guess what happens after that? The women start singing songs about David. Saul is slayed as thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Uh Uh-oh, Saul didn't like that. Saul liked being the main guy. He liked being the main focus. So Saul now starts going after David. He tries to kill him. He throws spears at him. Three different times he throws spears at David trying to kill him. David did not throw the spears back. Again, when we look at David, we would start to say, well, man, if I was there when Goliath came, I'd be one of the people who didn't go fight him. And you know what? If I was anointed king, I'd probably be making people bow. And you know what? If a lion came to kill a sheep, too bad for the sheep, because that's what's happening, right? I'm not going down there. And he started going down this list. And then if someone threw a spear at me, you got to be kidding. That spear's coming right back twice the speed. And you start looking at David, and you start to think, there's just no way I can measure up to this guy. And then we see that even when Saul pledges to him his daughter, and then takes her back. David says, that's fine. He gives, her another, gives him another daughter to marry. He marries her, and then he's, he makes a plot to go kill David yet again. This time, Jonathan, his son, the prince, warns David, my dad's going to try to kill you. So David flees. Then he comes in, his, his wife, who is Saul's daughter, warns him that Saul's going to come and try to kill you. And David gets away again. Then finally we see, last time, a few weeks ago, we got to chapter 20. And David is the anointed king of Israel. He's got all this stuff going for him. And guess what? A wrench gets thrown into the works from man's perspective. But God had a different plan for David. Things were going to happen the way that he thought. What happened was, word came out that he was going to try to kill him. And Jonathan, he tells Jonathan, go find out. I'm not going to show up for dinner, for the feast. And when I'm not there, see how your dad responds. If your dad doesn't have a problem with me being gone, he doesn't want me dead, I can come back. But if not, you need to come out. And they set this this signal to each other that he would shoot these arrows. And when he shot them, he would tell his young man, if he said, the arrows are beyond you, it means you got to get out of here, my dad's going to kill you. If he says they're beside you, that means you can stay. David went home and, and for the feast in Bethlehem. He comes back. He's out there waiting by this rock. And no doubt, thinking in his mind, no way those arrows are going to get shot past. There can't be. I was anointed king. I've waited all this time. I've been a faithful man of God. So far, there's not a blemish on his record of any kind. And yet, as he waits by that rock, all of a sudden, he sees Jonathan pulling back that bow. And as he lets go, he sees that first arrow fly over his head. And he thinks, oh, that must have been a mistake. Certainly, he, 
He didn't, did that on purpose. Jonathan, you're not, you, know, you don't know your own strength, bro. Don't pull back so hard on the bow, right? And the next one, over his head again. Comes to the realization he's not going to be able to go home to his wife, to his family, to the people he's called to be the king of. He's going to have to flee for his life. He has no idea where he's going to go. Not a clue. Now, that brings us to tonight's chapter. Now, we're going to see that while this is indeed a trial for David, David's going to make some huge mistakes. We're going to finally see for the first time that David is not perfect. That though he's David, he's not like the son of David, Jesus Christ. And so, if you're a note taker, the title of the message tonight is Fear the Enemy of Faith, Moving from a Spiritual Focus to a Physical One. We're going to watch just how quickly we can move from being on fire for God to not walking with Him. And that should be a warning to every one of us in here tonight. Because David, a man after God's own heart, very quickly becomes David, and as we'll see tonight, an absolute mess. And how quickly it can happen in all of our lives. And so here's the three points. Number one, the fear, fear, the enemy of faith. How do we move from a spiritual focus to a physical one? Number one, by coming to a place of worship with the wrong motivation. When you come to church, why do you come? Some people come for friendships, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Some people come because maybe they can get a meal or, or a handout of some kind, and certainly that happens here, and it should. But our motivation for coming here better be because we want to worship Almighty God and we want to know Him better. I mean, that's why we come. But yet, that's not always why people come. Maybe they come because they want to meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend. or Who knows? There's all kinds of reasons why people come to church. But we'll see that the quickest way, one of the quickest ways to move from a spiritual focus to a physical one is to come to the place of worship with the wrong motivation. We're going to see that in David. Secondly, to put your faith in the wrong source of strength. To put your faith in the, world, the things of this world rather than in the Lord. In the weapons of this world instead of the word of God is what we're going to see David do. And then thirdly, turning to the world for comfort and covering instead of to the Lord. Turning to the world for comfort and covering instead of to the Lord. So let's begin in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 21. We haven't been here in a little while, so I took as long as I did catching us up. We had several weeks outside and different things going on. So, fear the enemy of faith, moving from a spiritual focus to a physical one. Come to the place, first of all, where we began to worship with the wrong motivation. Look at verse 1. Now, David came to Nob. Now, the arrows had just been shot past. He would not be able to go home. He's not going to be able to see his wife or his family or his friends. No doubt struggling to understand, how can this be? Lord, I don't get it. And David is on the run. Saul is out to kill him. And now he's going to begin what he has no idea is going to be 10 years in exile. 10 years. Let me say that again. 10 years. Sometimes we say, well, God showed me something four weeks ago and I can't figure out why in the world it hasn't happened yet. You know, God just fell asleep. He's napping. You know, I don't trust God anymore. He showed me this last Sunday and hasn't, you know, 10 years. This is after several other, it may have been as many as 17 years from the day he was anointed king until he became king. Now again, that's trusting in God's promises, even when it doesn't make sense from our perspective and the timing isn't according to our will. So what he needed to understand, what we need to understand when we're waiting upon the Lord, it is not a time of punishment, but of preparation. It's not God saying, you blew it, so I'm going to just step on you. No, it's God saying, I love you, and I want you to be prepared to minister to those people in my timing, so we're going to have time of preparation. In David's case, it was going to be 10 years in exile, being prepared to be the king of Israel. Previously, when trouble had come, he had fled to Samuel. Then he went to Jonathan, so Samuel the prophet, then Jonathan the prince. Where is he going to go? He goes to the city of Nob. Now Nob is a priestly city. It was near Gibeah of Benjamin. It was in the southern part of Israel, not too far from Jerusalem. And so this is the right move. You have no idea what to do, go to God's house. You have no idea where to go, no direction for your life. You're trying to figure it out. Go seek God's people. Go seek God's will. In this case, he's going to go seek the high priest. He's going to go to the place of worship. And he wants to, again, this would be a perfect place for him to seek out the Lord. So it says, Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. So Ahimelech is the high priest serving in the house of God, which is where the priest should be. 
And David in distress flees to this man, having again in distress a desire, it would seem from the outward, to hear from the Lord. It is interesting that the three people he ran to in times of trial were Samuel the prophet, Jonathan the prince, and Ahimelech the priest. Because you know what? Jesus is all three of those. He's the prophet, he's the prince, and he's the priest. Amen? Amen. And so that's who we run to when we're in the midst of trials, is we run to the Lord, and we seek his face, and we seek his instruction. So David, uncertain of what's ahead, does the right thing, and we too in times of trials should seek godly counsel. You know what the enemy wants to do when things are tough? Isolate you. Get you to run away from everybody, go play ain't it awful somewhere by yourself, right? And just, you know, you know, I hate myself, I'm going to go outside and eat some worms and just be miserable. That's what the enemy wants you to do. But the body of Christ is not to function that way. We are to love each other, reach out to each other, minister to each other. Anybody heard that song by Casting Crowns? Has anybody seen her? Or anybody hear her? I'm going to show it on a Sunday soon. Every time I watch it, I weep. And it's a song, it's a video about a young girl whose life is a disaster. And she keeps running across Christians. But when she does, because her life is such a mess, they just keep walking by her. She shows up even at church and she's kind of disheveled because she's been out drinking all night. And when she stands at the door, people walk by her and kind of look down at her because of the way she's dressed. I better not ever see that happen here. Amen? Amen? Amen. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And you know what? Everybody in this building, Jesus died for, and nobody is greater than anybody else. Amen? Amen. We're all equal in the eyes of God. We need to be loving everybody, ministering to everybody. Everybody should feel welcomed and loved and ministered to. And I don't care if they haven't showered in 10 years. Amen? Amen? That's the Lord's heart and it ought to be ours. And so we see here that David, you know, goes to the house of the Lord. And this is where we should go when times are tough. Because the enemy, enemy wants to isolate us. But understand this. Here's what, godly, here's what godly counsel is. It's the word of God applied by the spirit of God. That's what it is. There it is. There's that, there, people say, what is godly counsel? The word of God applied by the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit speaking through someone or through his word directly to you from the word of God. God's word is sufficient. We don't need anybody else's opinion. We just need God's word. And so David is in the right place. It even says in Psalm 73, prosperity of the wicked. He's, Asaph is trying to understand how the wicked prosper. And then he says this, when I thought of this, it was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. You know when we start to understand? When we go and get a supernatural, eternal perspective on things. When we go in and we sit with the Word of God, we spend time in worship, we get our focus off of the, the current circumstances of this temporal life and we put them on eternity and all of a sudden, things start to make sense. It's okay. And even if they don't, we trust the Lord. Now look what it says. This is interesting. So he shows up. David comes to Nob. Ahimelech the priest sees him coming. And look what it says. And Ahimelech was afraid when he, saw, when he met David and said to him. He was afraid when he saw David. The high priest was afraid when he saw David. Why in the world would he be afraid? Well, let me tell you why. Look what it says the rest of the verse. Why are you alone and no one is with you. It's interesting that the high priest saw him coming in by himself and that startled him and it concerned him. And so too, when we see Christians trying to walk the walk all by themselves, that ought to concern us and startle us too. We need to be in fellowship. We need each other. Now, the reason he was startled about David, you got to remember, David was the king's son-in-law and David was the great warrior of all of Israel. So everywhere he went, he had an entourage of people with him, if not an entire army following behind him. So when he shows up all by himself, he's going, now what's wrong with this picture? Why in the world is the son of the son-in-law of the king and the mighty warrior of Israel showing up here all by himself? Something's not right. And I have an idea that David didn't look himself either. You know, he'd been out there hanging out by the rock for three days. You know, he'd been traveling around. He's going through a really tough time. So David, the sight of him brought fear into the heart of Ahimelech. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now, this is a great question. Here's an opportunity. Is that a wide open opportunity for David to share his heart? Why are you alone? How come no one's with you? Bro. Saul's trying to kill me, man. Saul's trying to kill me. Jonathan shot the three arrows past. Let me tell you the whole story. 
you know, I was anointed king. I had no idea what's going on. I need some godly counsel. Could you help a brother out? Can we pray together? Right? Can we seek Almighty God? I got no idea. I don't know where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do. That would have been the perfect place to do that. Right? David, not so much. This would have been the perfect spot for him to turn to the Lord. Instead, look what he does. So David, verse 2, said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business. Uh, liar. This is the first time we've seen David sin, right? David just flat out lies. The king told me to be, ordered me to go be about his business. And it says, and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you. You know, he thought about this lie. He thought about it because here's what he's saying to Ahimelech. Well, he sent me out on some business. He told me not to tell anybody where I'm going or what I'm doing. So he didn't have to tell Ahimelech anything. And also in hopes that Ahimelech would then not tell anybody that David had even come by. He's kind of covering himself already. He's lying. He's, you know, for for his first recorded lie, he's pretty good at it already. And so David lies and, you know, it starts to show this guy that wasn't afraid of a giant is starting to be fearful and starting to be a coward. And we're going to see that both his mission and, and his followers and all that he's called to do, we're starting to see that he's struggling And he starts to lie because right now, as we're going to see as we move on, he's more focused on the physical than the spiritual. And this is what we've seen in everybody else, but not David. When everybody else was afraid of 11 foot, 750 pound Goliath, David said, who's this guy against coming against God? Let's go take care of him. David had a spiritual perspective. Now David's starting to have a physical one. This is how faith becomes fear. We go from a spiritual perspective, an eternal perspective, to a physical one. We start looking at our circumstances. We're overwhelmed by them because we look at our circumstances in comparison to us instead of comparison to God. Instead of the greatness of God, we look at it in the meekness and the weakness of our own flesh. And this is what is happening to David. So David had thought this out ahead of time. He tells this lie to maybe to you know, protect even Ahimelech, certainly to protect himself. And in our flesh, we can always give a reason to lie. You can always, you know, it's amazing when you catch people in a lie and they've always got a good reason. Yeah, well, you don't understand. Here's what's going on. Get, can I tell you right now, God never wants you to lie. Amen. Never. Amen. Never. I got in trouble with some missionaries in India one time. We're in the car and they said, now, pa- Pastor Dave, if we get pulled over, you cannot tell them you're a Christian. Because if you do, they may harm us. I'm like, bro, if they pull us over and ask me if I'm a Christian, I'm telling them yes. Because I'm not denying Jesus Christ, especially if they're going to harm me. The last thing I want to do before I meet Almighty God is deny Him. Amen? <laughs> it's not the last thing I want to do. So sure enough, we're out, and we, get, we got a bunch of guys around us. They start asking me who I am, where, I, where I'm from, what I'm doing there. And I told them, I'm a born-again Christian. God sent me here to share the gospel and to train up pastors so they could preach the gospel to all of India. And they're like, oh. <laughs> you know what, though? Praise God. I'm, we're indestructible to God's through with this. Amen? Right. We are never to lie. We're not to lie. And David could have said, well, I, you know, but I'm just protecting Ahimelech and I'm just telling him a story so he doesn't get caught up in it. And I'm just, don't, don't make excuses for lying. Just tell the truth. Who is the father of lies? Satan. Satan. Who is the truth? Jesus. So if you want to be Christ-like, you tell the truth. You want to be Satan-like, tell a lie. And remember that a half a lie is, a half a truth is a whole lie. Amen. Half a truth is a whole lie. So David's thought out explanation for while he was alone. Again, this sounds more like Saul to me than David. So, you know, he just, he's positioning himself. When confronted with sin, when the people brought back the... Remember when, they brought, when he brought back Agag and he brought back some of the Amalekites and he was confronted with his sin? He went, oh, it was the people. I mean, this is how David is sounding to me. Someone who's making excuses rather than being one who falls on his face before God and trusts in the Lord in spite of his circumstances. It says there, Do not let anybody know or what I have commanded you, and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, one of two things is true here. Because David is going to have some young men later. And he may have had some now, but they're not with him. But he says to him, he shows up all by himself, and he says, Hey, I'm on a mission for the king, and I've sent my guys, you know, my army of guys that I should be leading that you don't see with me. 
And they're out there somewhere, and I'm going to go get them later, and they're going to meet me in another place. And it could be. That could be true, because when we get to the next chapter, he's in this place called Adullam, and he has 400 ragtag people that are all gathered together unto David. So that could be true. It also could be true he's by himself, and he's just lying to make an excuse for why he's by himself. But in either case, he comes. We know he's lying. He's not telling the truth. David, this man of faith and courage, who had boldly stepped out, who in faith fought Goliath, now in fear tells a lie. And his trickery is going to lead to tragedy. Sin and deception always do. Sometimes a short-term escape, that's what sin can do, but it always leads to long-term consequences. You know what happens? You know why we sin? One of the many reasons. You know why we sin? Because the consequences are later than the gratification. So we say, well, I'm going to get to have fun. I'll get slapped later, but I'm going to... Why do your kids do stuff when they know a SWAT's following? Because it's fun now, right? And so they do it, and you SWAT them, and you go, every time you do that, you get a SWAT? Yeah, well. So you know what? You've got to SWAT them hard. You've got to make the SWAT harder than the, than the enjoyment, right? And so this is why people live in sin, is they don't truly believe in hell. They don't truly believe the consequences are coming. David is at a point right now where, hey, I'm escaping for the moment. And if there's long-term consequences, so be it. Verse 3 says this. Now, therefore, what you have in your hand, give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. David is talking to the high priest. He's running for his life. And the first thing he asks for is bread. I'm thinking asking for bread is fine. Probably not the top of the priority list. Amen? If you ran in here and somebody was chasing you down the street with a shotgun trying to kill you, would you walk in and ask for a sandwich? I'm thinking no, right? Pray, right? Hide me, something, right? Bro, here's what I'm going through. Help a brother out. And instead, what happens is he comes in. He's so physically focused right now. All he's worried about is filling his gut, not walking in the spirit. How quickly this happens in the life of David. David's focus has moved from the spiritual to the physical. At the moment, he was far more concerned about being physically fed than spiritually led. And while he needed bread, what he really needed more was direction. So he says, do you have any bread? Verse 4. And the priest answered and David said, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Now, common bread was bread that was brought together by people that was taken to the tabernacle as part of their offering. And then when people had need, they were able to minister to them. And he's saying there's no common bread, which means that people hadn't been giving. So when people didn't give, when the people who were hungry came, there was nothing to give them. By the way, it's very small at this point, but we did start a little pantry in the office. Somebody felt led to bring in some shelves and load it up with food. And if you feel led to donate canned goods and things that, that won't perish, we're going to have it in the office from now on. And as people call up and need food, they can come down and get some. And hopefully, as they come to get bread, we can give them the word. Amen? Because that's what's really important. That's what really needs to happen, is his lives to be transformed. So there's no common bread. There's none of this bread. But there is holy bread. Now, what is the holy bread? If you were here as we went through Leviticus, it is the show bread. Twelve loaves of bread that were in the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but the holy place. And each of those things, remember, I'm not going to go through all of them because we don't have time. But each of the things within the holy place, within the tabernacle, all point to Jesus. Every single one of them. And as we look at the show bread, they would make it every week. And there's a lot of bread, by the way. Each loaf, 12 loaves, one for each tribe of Israel, each loaf weighed about six pounds. So 72 pounds of bread. That's a lot of bread. Now, at the end of each week, they would take the old loaves down and bake new loaves and put them there. And the showbread was to represent the presence of God, the provision of God that he was always providing for us. We could trust in his provision. But we know that Jesus is the bread of life. And that's who it was ultimately pointing to. So the only bread that was available was this showbread. But it must have been the Sabbath because we're going to see in the future that, he start, that that bread has just been taken down. That bread was supposed to be eaten only by the priest. It was given, now it wasn't supposed, let me correct myself. It was given to the priest, but not necessarily was only for the priest. It was given to the priest to provide for them to eat and then they could take some of it home to their families. But as we're going to see, nowhere in scripture does it say it was only for the priest, but it started with them. 
So the only bread that's available is the bread for the priest. And he sees the need of David as he comes. And David asks for bread. And he said, well, we don't have any of the common bread left, but we do have some of the holy bread. Okay, this bread that was in the holy of holies that represents the, our God's provision. By the way, if you don't pray before your meals start, amen? amen? Because every time we eat, who gave it to us? God did, every single time. Every once in a while, my kids will, th- will go out to eat, my kids will thank me, and I'll go, I-, I didn't do that. Thank the Lord, amen? He's the one who provides for us, and so we ought to be thankful to Him every single time. Now it says, as long as the young men have kept themselves from women. Now these are either the men who really exist, who are somewhere else, or the men who don't exist that He made up. Now, in those, in those days, again, you were defiled if you had, there were certain things that could defile you from coming into worship. And you had to be cleansed before you could worship. And one of them, in this case, would be if they had been, had marital relations. And he said, if they've done that, you know, if they haven't done that for the last three days, then I can give you the bread and you can go feed them. Okay? So that's what he's telling them. There were some stipulations held to the bread. Then it says in verse 5, Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. He's saying the bread is common because it's no longer on the table. It's been removed from the table. And you know what? We've been cleansed. You know, we're not defiled right now. And if you want to give us the bread, that would be great. Verse 6. So the priest gave him holy bread. For there was no bread there but the show bread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. So this makes it the Sabbath. And so he says to him, David, here's, here's the bread. Now, how does God feel about this? Because the bread was primarily for the priests, but as we're going to see, not only for the priests. And David takes the, they take, the priest takes the bread and gives it to David. Does God have a problem with that? Well, we know, we know for a fact that he doesn't. And I'll tell you how we know. If you look at, do it later, look in Luke 6 or Matthew 12, Jesus refers back to this story and he talks, he com- basically commends Ahimelech for giving this bread to David. And basically what he's trying to tell them is this was when, when Jesus and his disciples were out on the Sabbath and they were picking heads of grain and these guys were going sideways that they were doing that on the Sabbath. And Jesus let them know that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And they don't need to be overwhelmed by legalism and the law. And guys, man-made rituals should never supersede ministering to people. And that was the heart of the Lord when he was telling them. You've got all these man-made rituals that are not in the Bible. The Word of God doesn't say it. You've made it up. And you've made it a link, you know, a blockade between you and reaching out to people. We need to build bridges to the world instead of putting blocks up in front of it. Now, we're to be in the world but not of it. We're not going to be like the world so we can reach them. Let's be like Jesus so the one will we have. Amen? But the point is, we need to be reaching out in love. And we need to make sure we don't allow... Years ago, when Calvary Costa Mesa first started, they met in a tent for years. The Jesus movement came out of there. All the hippies were getting saved. And the hippies have this thing where they don't wear shoes. So they finally move into a building... And all the hippies were coming in with dirty feet. And some of the people who had come from other buildings and things saw the hippies in there with dirty feet. And it made them mad because they just had this brand new building. And these thousands of hippies were coming in. The carpet was getting dirty. So they went to Pastor Chuck and said, what are we getting? we got to make them wear shoes. I mean, they're coming in here to get the carpet dirty. He said, oh, does it bother you that their feet are getting the carpet dirty? Yeah. He said, then rip the carpet out. The whole point is don't let man-made rituals get in the way of ministering to people. Rip the carpet out before we throw people out. Bring the things down that are going to get in the way of us ministering to people. And this was the heart of the Lord. And he says, he commends Ahimelech to say, Ahimelech got it. He wasn't so worried. This wasn't uh, the word of God that said only the priest could eat it. So he gave it away. He saw ministry to people being more important than the rules and rituals that have been set up by men. Now, he came to the place of worship. But he came with the wrong motivation because what did he get? He got fed physically. Do we see him praying? Do we see him making sacrifice? Do we see him seeking the Lord in any way? No. He went in, he asked for bread, and he got some. Okay? I hope that you come to church and you get more than an agape feast afterward. 
My prayer would be that you come and you get filled up, that the Word of God is taught, that you worship, you enter into the presence of the Lord, you take your gifts and you're ministering to others in this room, that the, that the Holy Spirit is moving, and that we get to leave this place closer to God than the way that we came, not just with a fuller belly. Amen? And this was the heart of the Lord for David, but sadly, David was afraid to go hungry. He was afraid of, of his belly continuing to, to grumble. And the sad part about that is he had seen God work in so many ways. And sometimes we need to be reminded of how great our God is. Why do you come to church? Is it to fulfill a physical need or enter into worship and spiritual intimacy with the Lord? So fear of fear the enemy of faith, moving from a spiritual focus to a physical one. The first thing is coming to church or the place of worship with the wrong motivation. The second one is putting your faith in the wrong source of strength. And we're going to see David do that. Look at verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. Okay, he was detained more than likely because he was ceremonially unclean. He had to be cleansed before he could worship, and then he would be able to leave. All right? So this man is there. He's being detained. You know what is an interesting, though? How when we step outside of God's will, how often we just get totally caught. Isn't it amazing? I told you a story before. A guy shared it at a pastor's conference. I won't use his name, but he shared it at a pastor's conference that he found out his wife had cancer. Some other things happened in, his, in the church he was at. All these things were going sideways, and he got mad at God. This guy's pastor in a real large church in Southern California. He hadn't had an alcohol in 25 years, so he decides he's going to go out and get drunk. Bad idea, by the way. Bad idea. Dumb idea. All right? So he goes out and buys a 12-pack of beer, and he's going to go sit at the beach. He drives like 50 miles away from his church. He's going to go get a 12-pack of beer, go sit on the beach, and drink alcohol just to show God how mad he is. He comes walking out of the liquor store, and he runs into Greg Laurie, who's coming out of the Jamba Juice next door. Hey, bro, how's it going? Oh, obviously not too good, right? He sees a 12-pack under his arm. Your sin will surely find you out, amen? Our God loves us enough to do just that, doesn't he? And you know who's hanging out where David shows up to talk to Ahimelech? Who's there? Look what it says. Look what, we know that who this man is. Look what it says. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen, who belonged to who? Saul. This was one of Saul's employees. This guy was a chief herdsman, which meant he helped oversee a great deal of the cattle. But he was in a position of high authority under Saul. And he just happens to be there. Doeg's name means fearful. And this guy was an Edomite who had, who had at least outwardly made a Jewish conversion, which I extremely doubt because we're going to see what happens next chapter. But you know what? This man, his name means, it says chief of the herdsmen can mean mighty or violent, and he was both. This guy was an extremely violent guy. And guess what? Here sits David, and he's talking to Ahimelech, and he's telling lies. And there sits Doag over there listening to all of it. Hmm, really? Saul sent you out. That's not what I heard. Last I heard, Saul wants to kill you. Matter of fact, I was sitting two seats away from him when he threw that last spear at you. I was there when he was looking for you and you didn't show up for the feast. And he's been wondering where you are. And now I know where you are and you're telling lies. Now the sad thing about this is, is many. One, what a blown testimony. Two, it shows that he is more fearful of man than faithful in God at this point. And all the things that were being saying about David as being this great man of faith, all of a sudden now he's not. And guys, you know what? It's sad, but it's true. A lifetime of faithfulness can be blown by five minutes of indiscretion. You know, people love Billy Graham. Billy Graham's a sinner saved by grace like the rest of us. But Billy Graham has been in ministry, I don't know, 50 some odd years without any accusations against him. If he went out tomorrow and had an affair, his name would be tainted forever. Wouldn't it? And so too, we need to think about that, guys. Think about all the people you witness to, all the people you share your faith with, your own children, your family. Think about all those things and remember that the enemy wants to just get you into a few minutes of indiscretion that will wipe out a lifetime of faithfulness. Now, you'll still be saved. You're still going to heaven. God forgives you. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. But understand that sin has consequences and it impacts the people around us. So he came seeking only a physical blessing. He missed out on what God had for him spiritually 
And you know what's really sad? He ends up bringing incredible harm because when we get to the next chapter, Doeg's going to come back. I'm going to give the story away from next week, but Doeg comes back with a sword and kills all the priests because they helped David. Kills them all, including this man, Ahimelech. Why? Because David didn't do what he should have done. His sin had consequences. So, there's Doeg the Edomite. We're going we're gonna to see him in the next chapter more in depth. Now it says, verse 8, And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? Okay, he's got his bread, now he wants a sword. All right, you hook me up with some food. You got any weapons? <laughs> right? Come in. Okay, I got a sandwich. You got a shotgun. What do you got available? AK-47 be good. I got a lot of guys coming after me. You know, instead of saying, let's get on our face and seek God and have Him protect us and watch over us and by the power of the Holy Spirit give direction to our lives, instead, let's just give me some food and give me a gun, you know, give me a sword so I can go out of here and be ready to protect myself. Guys, you can't protect yourself. The Lord is the one who does it. Amen? You can't keep yourself on this planet one second longer than God says you're going to be here. He's the one who's in control. And so he's the one that we need to be resting in and trusting in. And so here's David. He goes and he gets his, his bread, and now he's asking for a sword. Now look, he tells another lie. He says, he said to Ahimelech, Is there not a, here on hand a, a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. Liar. I don't have my sword because I ran out of there so fast to be busy about the king's business. The truth is, if he was busy about the king's business, he'd be seeking to kill himself. Right? Because that was the king's business at the moment. Kill David. That was it. So he's not about the king's business unless he's going to use the sword and and cut himself up. Right? He's not. So he's lying. And he tells this lie again when he should have been seeking the Lord. He came in. Guys, can I encourage you to be transparent with each other? You gotta, you gotta have four or five friends who know you well enough they could put you in jail. I had someone tell me that one time. You know what I mean? They just know everything about you, everything about your past, everything. Just be transparent. Guys, if we love each other enough, we're not gonna be, you know, let's not be sin sniffers, amen? Right. Let's not be picking on it. Instead, we ought to be loving each other enough to come and say, man, I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? You know, with the events of just a few weeks back where we had a guy in our church take his life, I pray that never happens again. Because I pray we'd be transparent enough if we were going through a tough time that we can be open with each other and say, can you pray for me? Amen? Amen. Now praise God that absent from the body is present with the Lord, but we do not want to take the place of the Lord in when we're to be with Him. Verse 9. So the priest said, you got any swords or spears? So the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, If you'll take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. Now this blows my mind. Why? The sword of Goliath. Now, it was in the tabernacle. Why? I have no idea. But it ended up there. And it's obvious that David didn't think much of it after the battle because he just left it, right? He didn't take it with him. Somebody probably said, let's go put it in the tabernacle, and every time we see it, we'll remember how faithful God is that he used a little kid to wipe out a giant. So in a sense, it could have been like a trophy to God's grace and God's mighty hand at work. But what's interesting is that when David defeated the guy with the sword, all he had was a slingshot. Because the source of David's strength was not the sword, but the Lord. It wasn't the sword that gave him strength, it was the Lord who gave him strength. And now when he should be coming seeking the Lord, he comes seeking a sword. Well, he didn't come and say, oh, pray pray that the Lord's hand will be upon me. It is so painful to see one whose faith towered to such a lofty height in his encounter with Goliath come down to the place where you find him resorting to his own self-protection, to lying, and to, as we're going to see in a little bit, acting like a madman. Now, the sword of Goliath, as David took the sword of Goliath, imagine what he must have thought. He thought, man, this is a good weapon. This is a, man, look at the size. There's not a be- better weapon. First of all, the thing was probably his size. But what I think is interesting, David, the last time he held it, he'd been cutting off the head of Goliath. And God had brought victory. And now he holds it, and he seems to have forgotten about his desperate need for God altogether. 
David is on a downward spiral. This lover of God, once fearless and faithful, is now trusting in trickery and lies and in the sword of a dead giant. He says there, there is none like it. You know, in the flesh, he wanted Saul's, or Goliath's sword, but in the spirit, he wouldn't take Saul's sword. Remember? He wouldn't take Saul's armor. He wouldn't take Saul's sword because he had the Lord. He didn't need it. I don't need this. I got God. And he went down there and won the battle. Now, all of a sudden, he wants the sword. Now, if he had taken any time to think, he said, there's none like it. How did it work out for Goliath? Right? That was Goliath's sword. How did that work out for him? All it did was lop off his own head after he was dead. Right? There's none like it. Oh, it was real successful for him. I'm thinking you might have learned a lesson there, bro. David, there's something much greater than the sword of any man. The Bible tells us our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Guys, when we get in the flesh, we start to trust in carnal things. And that's exactly what David is doing. He's turning to carnal answers and weapons. David had no need of a sword before, and now all of a sudden he's putting his faith in a sword. So heartbreaking. There's none like it. Well, guess what, guys? When we come to the tabernacle, we ought to be looking for the sword. God's word. It's the sword that transforms us. We don't, you know what I mean? We, we should leave here with the sword in tow and share it with others to minister to the lives of others. Not the sword of Goliath, but the sword of the word of God. What's interesting to me, as we're going to see, David's going to go walking around with his sword hanging off of him. And it's going to be pretty obvious who he is. And you know what, guys? When we walk around with the sword in our hands and speaking it from our lips, it ought to be obvious to everyone around us who we are and who we belong to, Jesus Christ. So the fear of fear, the enemy of faith, moving from a spiritual focus to a physical one, coming to a place first of worship with the wrong motivation, and then putting your faith in the wrong source of strength, worldly weapons instead of the word of God. Now lastly, turning to the world for comfort and covering instead of to the Lord. And when you do that, you'll become ashamed of your testimony and you'll act in a way that destroys your testimony. Look what it says in verse 10. Then David arose... And fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. This proves this brother didn't pray. He went to the land of the Philistines. I'm thinking of all the places to pick. All right, David, you can run anywhere you want. I think I'll go down to Goliath's house. That's where I'll go. You've been slaying them. They've been singing songs about you killing the Philistines. And that's where you're going to go to find peace and comfort in the land of the Philistines. Guys, more foolish than that is for us to go to the world to find comfort. The, The Philistine land is like the world. Running to the world is foolish. Running to the world, running to the bar, running into the arms of a person, running to to the things of this world to try to find comfort when comfort only comes from the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who can come and administer to your heart and bring comfort to your heart in the greatest amount of trials. And sadly, we see David, because his faith is turned to fear, he runs to the world to try to find peace. And when you do, it never works out. Ever. Anybody ever, yeah, I'm going to, you know, what if that guy had had that 12-pack of beer? How do you think it would have felt afterward? I don't think he'd have got 12 down. I think it had half a one and went, oh, conviction, right? I would hope, right? And here's David. He runs down to the land of the Philistines. No prayer involved or he would have never been down there. There's no way in the world. So he's got bread, he's got a sword, he's got no prayer, no spiritual discernment, he's made no sacrifice, and he runs down to the world, he goes where the flesh leads him, not where the spirit takes him, and instead of entrusting in the Lord, he's trusting in his own wits and his own might, thinking he'll find peace in the land of the enemy. How thick is David? Look at verse 11. And the servants of Achish said to him, is that not David, the king of the land? Now, what's interesting, a couple things. First of all, duh, David, they recognized you. How many people were there when he fought Goliath? Pretty much everyone, right? All the Philistines were there. David comes. Do you think his face might have been burned in their heads a little bit? Right? 
Not only is David showing up, he's got Goliath's sword hanging off his side. And he comes walking into Goliath's territory, and they're like, dude, that's the guy that killed Goliath, and he's got Goliath's sword hanging on his side. David. I also find it interesting that they call David the king of the land. Saul didn't even recognize, you know, he hadn't allowed David to be king, but it, the, it, their enemies recognized it. Their enemies knew, oh, that guy's the king. Oh, Saul's the wannabe, but that guy's the king. That guy acts like the king, he lives like the king. You know what's true? The world will recognize those who are following Jesus Christ with their whole heart. They'll know who the real Christians are and who, you know, who the wannabe posers are. Right? You know, you got posers in surfing, you got posers in Christians too. You really do. You know, I went to high school in Orange County. He had these guys that had surfboards on top of their car and they had the stickers on there and they wore the surfwear and they bleached their hair and they never touched the ocean in their life. Called them posers. Well, Christians, we put stickers on our cars, right? And we wear the Christian t-shirts and we can pose to be Christians and we can even get the jargon down. That doesn't mean anything if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Guys, it's all about knowing Him, not looking like you belong to Him. And when you're truly on fire for Him, the world recognizes it. And the world recognized David when he came into the camp. That's the king of Israel right there. That's the guy. Now, David is recognized as being the king, and he has an opportunity now to do something about it. Just like when you're recognized as a Christian. When your neighbors and your co-workers and your, your schoolmates and your friends know that you're a Christian... They see you walking in, they recognize you, they see the sword at your side, not the sword of Goliath, but the word of God in your hand at work or wherever you may be. You'll be confronted for who you are. And look what it says. Is that not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing a song of him to one another and dance saying, Saul has slayed his thousands and David his ten thousands? You know what, David was, you know, his song was on the charts in the Philistine land too. <laughs> People had heard it. People had heard his song. They knew all about him. He came into the land. Dude, that's David, man. They sing songs about that guy. He's the guy that slayed Goliath. Look, he's got Goliath's sword. Now, David has a chance to do something here. I believe if he had stood up for God, even now, God would, of course, protected him. Amen? He could have turned around and said, yeah, that's exactly who I am. You guys are in trouble. Right? He could have done that. He could have said, you know what? You need to turn to the true and living God or you're going to all be dead. He could have done that. Because God's greater. God had a plan for him. But sadly, because he's not walking in faith, but he's walking in fear, look how David responds. Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Achish, I guarantee you, was a lot smaller than Goliath. Right? But yet David was afraid of him. This most godly man on earth, this most feared man by the Philistines, has now become the fearful one himself. When we are outside of God's will, we have plenty to fear. But when we walk in the center of God's will, we have nothing to fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We don't have to fear anything when we're walking with God. But when we wander off into the world to find safety, instead we're going to find fear and heartache and destruction and a blown testimony, and God is going to be mocked. Now look what happens, verse 13. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. He acted like a wild animal in hopes they would leave him alone. David, how quickly we have fallen. David, standing for God when nobody else would. David, allowing spears to be thrown at him and not throwing him back. David, the lead worship leader for all of Israel, who when he simply plays worship and sings out to God, evil spirits depart. David, the man anointed king by Almighty God. David, the man after God's own heart. David, acting like a fool. What happened? He became fearful. And he took his eyes off of God and he put them on his circumstances for just a moment. It didn't take long, did it? It didn't take long. He was standing there. He was, it was just days before that he was standing for God. Now all of a sudden, he's fearful. Guys, when you come in for counseling, here's what you're going to hear. Let me just get, here's the counseling session. You ready? You guys spending time in the Word? Oh, well, not really. You spending time in prayer? Not really. You spending time in worship? No. Um, you praying? No. Start doing that. God bless you. I mean, there it is. 
Because here's the truth. When we're walking with the Lord, we don't need the wisdom of men. We don't need anything else. When the power of the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, read your Bible and pray every day. That's a song I learned when I was a kid. And we need to do that. Amen? When we're in God's... Isn't it amazing? I've had people say to me before church, I need to talk to you after church. Great. The message is over and they go, I don't need to talk to you anymore because my question was answered in the message. The Word of God is the mighty counselor. Amen? Amen? The Lord will counsel us from His Word if we'll just listen to His Word. But yet people go, well, I want to hear what you have to say. I got nothing. Counseling is the Word of God delivered in the Spirit of God. Amen? And here's what happens to David. He gets away from the Lord. He stops seeking after the Lord. And before you know it, he's scratching on the ground and drooling all over himself and looking like a madman. You know what, guys? We're just a few faithless moments away from that. A few faithless moments away from blowing our testimony and having people mock God. Because you know what? If anybody, the people that saw that, what do you think they thought? Before, when they heard David's name, they went, Ooh, man of God. Right? Ooh, that guy. Whoa, David. Whoa. Now they're thinking, David, nut job. Right? I mean, and when, when that happens, what happens to your testimony? It's blown. And what happens to the name of the God that you serve? Guys, when we walk around panic like the world, people don't think much of the God that we serve. But when we can stand up in the midst of the greatest trial and say, my God is faithful. Amen. And I, I know I'm not just saying, just saying it, but mean it because we know it. Amen. Our God is faithful. Last two verses. Then Achish said to his servants, look and see the man. He's insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? What you, why are you bringing this nut job here? What's this guy doing? Get him out of here. Now, some people have even tried to say, well, this was the Lord. You know, David had heard from the Lord, and he just acted like a madman so that he could escape. You know what? God doesn't want us to act foolish to get out of our problems and our struggles. That is not God's way. God's way is to stand up and let it be a testimony. Without a test, there can be a testimony. In the midst of a trial, if he had stood up for the Lord, he could have left with God's name being even more magnified by the Philistines in the life of David than before. And instead... His name was harmed. Now, the good news is, when you go to Psalm 56 and Psalm 34, do that later, it tells us as David's heart was turned back to the Lord after he escaped. He escapes, he gets out of there, and it's like, what in the world was I thinking? The conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he turns back to the Lord. Now, David's going to have many things like this. This is only the, only the first chink in David's armor. But here's the good news, guys. David's called a man after God's own heart. But why? the reason is... And people ask me this all the time. Well, Saul wasn't that much worse than David. And you know what? The truth is, you're right. David ends up being an adulterer, a murderer, a liar, right? A faithless man at times. Saul was much the same. Why is Saul? Is Jesus, the Bible says of Saul, I regret ever making him king. Of David, he's a man after God's own heart. What's the difference? David repented. When David sinned, he repented. When David blew it, he came before God and asked for forgiveness. Saul never did. That's the difference, guys. You want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? When you sin, and you will, when you sin, repent. When you make a mistake, come before God broken and say, Lord, forgive me. That's a man or a woman after God's own heart. This is such a clear example of how we can go from faith to fear. We need to be in fellowship. I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here on Wednesday night. But look what it says. Lastly, go over those again. Fear of the enemy. Fear the enemy of faith. Moving from a spiritual focus to a physical one. Number one, coming to the place of worship with a wrong motivation. Don't come to be fed physically. Instead, to be led spiritually. Don't put your faith in the wrong source of strength. Not in worldly weapons. Not in your bank account. Not in your career. Not in anything else. Put your faith in Christ alone and in His Word. And then thirdly, turning to the world for comfort and covering instead of to the Lord. Guys, the world has nothing to offer you. You have everything to offer the world. We shouldn't go to the world. The world should be coming to us because we know Jesus and he's the answer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we come humble and broken before you saying, Lord, we know without you we can do absolutely nothing. So we pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each and every person who is here. Father, I pray that in the midst of trials and difficulty, Lord, that you would help us to grow in our faith and not to become fearful, to keep our eyes on you, to have a spiritual and an eternal perspective, not a physical one. Lord, I pray 
you would help us to be salt and light. Lord, that when people recognize us, they see you in us, Lord, that we would be bold about our faith. We would do it in love, never self-righteous. Lord, we know we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And Father, I also pray that every person who walks in the doors of this place would feel welcomed and loved. Lord, that we would never, ever, Lord, look down on anyone. Lord, that we would never treat anybody different than we would, that we would treat the President of the United States if you want. We treat everybody with love and honor and respect. Lord, because that's what you want us to do. Lord, because you love them so much, you'd rather die than live without them. Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. Help us to be people of prayer, people of the word, and people of fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.